Welcome to another edition of the Go Nose Podcast. I'm your host, Gregory McCoy. This podcast is by a fan for fans. I am not a journalist. I am not a reporter. I am not an insider. I do not work for a website. The majority of my content comes from me, in my opinion. Other information comes from the, the internet. Today is July the 2nd, 2020. I got about five different segments here for this episode. I hope you enjoy it. Um, leading off with uh, something a little different. I'm doing a movie comparison from way back. Uh, two of my favorite movies all time. Uh, the Hunt for Red October and Crimson Tide. Uh, both submarine movies. Uh, which one do you think is better? Um, the Hunt for Red October. Um, is the debut novel by Tom Clancy first published in October 1st, on October 1st, 1984, by the Navy Institute Press. It depicts Soviet submarine captain Marco uh, Ramius as he seemingly goes rogue with his country's cutting-edge ballistic missile submarine, Red October, and Mars. The first appearance of Clancy's most popular fictional character, uh, Jack Ryan, as an analyst working for the Central Intelligence Agency, as he must prove his theory that uh, Ramius, if I'm saying that right, has intended to defect to the United States. The book was loosely inspired by the mutiny on the Soviet uh, frigid, make sure I say this right, uh, Stora, I can't say that, it's a sub with a weird name. Um, the Hunt for Red October launched Clancy's successful career as a novelist, especially after then U.S. President Ronald Reagan remarked that he had enjoyed reading the book. A namesake film adaptation was released on March 2nd, 1990, and several computer and video games based on the book have been developed since then. The book has become instrumental in bringing the book genre of techno thrillers into the mainstream. Alright, so that's the background on the uh, hunt for um, Red October, Sean Connery, um, Alec Baldwin, uh, Sam Neill, James Earl, James Earl Jones, Scott Glenn, uh, Tim Curry, Courtney B. Vance, some of the notable actors in the movie. Um, I mean, it was a pretty good movie. Very good movie. Uh, Crimson Tide is a 1995 American submarine film directed by Tony Scott and produced by Don Simpson and Jerry Bruckheimer. It takes place during a period of political turmoil in the Russian Federation in which uh, 
ultra-nationalists threaten to launch nuclear missiles at the United States and Japan. It focuses on a clash of wills between the new executive officer Denzel Washington of a U.S. nuclear missile submarine and his seasoned commanding officer Gene Hackman arising from conflicting interpretations of an order to launch their missiles his story parallels a real incident during the Cuba, Cuban Missile Crisis, albeit aboard a Soviet rather than U.S. submarine. The film was scored by Hans Zimmer, who won a Grammy Award uh, for the theme, which makes heavy use of synthesizers in place of traditional uh, orchestral instruments. Um, an extended cut which incorporated several minutes of deleted scenes were released on DVD in 2006 when the film was uh, released on Blu-ray two years later. However, the film was, was restored to the theatrical version. Alright, so comparing these two movies, man, two of my favorite movies, uh, military movies, um, I think I'm gonna have to go with Crimson Tide, man. Just just the scene between Denzel Washington and Gene Hackman is so iconic that um that's what I'm gonna have to go with. Uh, Hunt for Red October, close second. Um, but just just um Crimson Tide is the better film, period. Um so let me know what you think about that comparison. All right. Um, second non-Florida State topic. Could you imagine having a smartphone in the 90s? Um, I don't know if I could have made it out of high school if I had a smartphone. <laughs> I think, I mean, it was hard enough having a Super Nintendo, man. And then PlayStation 1 came out my junior year in high school, 1995. So, I mean, I couldn't even, <clears throat> today's, today's kids, man, they got it real easy, but they also have it real rough. Because just the litany of information that they have access to. I mean, it's just right at your fingertips. I mean, I used to have to go to the library and hope that the information was there. I mean, you had computers to look up stuff when you was at the library, but the Internet was still kind of in its infant stages. Um, the Internet didn't really get big, big until like the late 90s, like 99, 2000. And, um, yeah, I mean, just like being able to watch sports, like right on, I mean, you had handheld TVs, but, and I brought that to school a couple of times, like when the, when the ACC tournament was like, you know, a big deal back in the day, but. Nothing like it is now, man. Like, you know, I I watch more 
stuff on my tablet than I do on my TV. I'll sit here and watch movie after movie on my tablet. And I got a, um, you know, a big screen TV right here. So it's just crazy. Um, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. I mean, that stuff would have been crazy in the 90s, man. Um, so I could imagine it happening, but could I handle it? I don't think I could have. Because I just look at how I use my phone now and how much data I consume. Back then, it would have been times 10, you know, all day, all night, messing with the phone. I can pretty much guarantee that because I played a lot of video games coming up, man. And, um, you know, just having that type of thing in the palm of my hand. It would have been crazy. Um, so I'm thank I thank God that I didn't that <laughs> smartphones didn't come out until I was an adult. I couldn't have handled it as a kid, and I give kudos to the millennials because they grew up with this stuff. It's not a big deal to them. Um, so let me know what you think about that segment. All right, all right. Getting on to the Florida State stuff. Is linebacker a position of strength now? Um, and I don't know if I've already done this, but if I have, oh, well, I'll do it again. Um, I think it is. Um, you got a new linebackers coach in Chris Marv, who's, uh, um, who's, I don't know, I don't know anything about him, but everything that I've read about him is saying that he's a pretty good linebackers coach. Young guy. Uh, 31, 32 years old, something like that. Um, so, um, you know, we'll see what he can do. Um, Emmett Rice, 6'2", 220, phenomenal season last year. Uh, Leonard Warner is going to move back to linebacker. Uh, he was better at inside than outside, so maybe they'll put him in the middle. I don't know. Um. He's definitely not an outside linebacker because he can't run with the running backs when he has to. So, um, there is basically a four-two-five defense that they're gonna run. You know, with with that with uh, Nasrul Dean being the linebacker hybrid, who's actually a little bit bigger in terms of height than Emmett Rice. 6'4", I think Nasruddin is 6'4", 215. So he's right there. Um, Leonard Warner, 6'4", 241. Um, so we'll see. I mean, he has, Leonard Warner has trouble covering linebackers. I mean, covering running backs. So I don't I don't think that's a good fit. Um I would use him more as an edge rusher, I guess. Um We'll see. Um 
there this this uh site that I'm looking at saying that Leonard Warner is gonna fit nicely into uh Fuller's uh defense. Uh Fuller is the uh defensive coordinator. So we'll see, man. Um Young guys, Kayvon Glenn, Kaylin Deloach, Jaleel McCray. Uh I thought Kaylin I mean, uh, Jaleel McCray will get a lot of playing time. I think Kayvon Glenn is going to get a lot of playing time. 6'2", 236, big guy. Um, so, he, 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 he's like, he's like NFL size right now. So, um, yeah. I like these three guys. I think um, they're going to get a lot of playing time. Um, Amari Gaynor, uh, 6'2", 215. Um, he's, he's a better pass rusher than, like, coverage linebacker. I like him coming off the edge. Um Sixty-nine tackles, three and a half sacks. Um, he's pretty good, man. I actually like this guy. I would like to see him put on some more weight. Um, but he's a pretty good pass rusher. Um, the newcomers, um, Stephen Dix Jr. Remember, I don't break down freshmen, but I'll say his name, Stephen Dix Jr. Um, uh, Cornell Jones was dismissed from the team So can't really break him down And that's pretty much it So I think the linebackers are definitely going to be better uh, This year um, So we'll see what happens um, Next uh, segment is uh, entitled is the offense in trouble this year? Uh, offensive line-wise, yes. I haven't seen any significant upgrades from the offensive line position to suggest that we're going to be better than last year. Maybe he's just going to scheme. He's definitely going to scheme it up different. He's going to run a different type of offense, and maybe that'll help these offensive linemen, but you know, everybody in the world that's Florida State fans or not Florida State fans knew that the offensive line sucked coming into last season. So, you know, that should have been the main priority. But we've been adding wide receivers and, you know, running backs and tight ends and quarterbacks. And, I mean, we've been adding it every other position except for offensive linemen and football is won and lost in the trenches that's where football begins and ends if you can't if you can't pass protect and run block it's over if you can't tackle and stop the run on defense and pass rush you're gonna have a long day so um definitely i think the offense is in trouble but 
I'm not going to be a Debbie Downer. Maybe Norvell is just going to scheme it up in a way that protects these guys. But if you're going to go into the season with the current offensive lineman that you have, you're going to have to get the ball out of your quarterback's hands really fast. And you're going to have to run quick hitting running plays. You know, if you try to do like long developing passing plays, run plays, your offensive line is going to get exposed. So, uh, in conclusion, the offense is in trouble, in my opinion. All right. Um, Who will lead this team in tackles in 2020? And I believe I've done this before. I don't, I can't remember. This is episode 215. So, I might regurgitate information. I don't know. But, nevertheless, this that's the question. Who will lead the team in tackles in 2020? Uh, the candidates. Hamza Nasruddin. Jaden Lawrence Woodby. Emmett Rice. Um... I want to say that Nashville Dean led the team in tackles last season. He had 101, and he's coming off an injury. So um, if he can come back fully healthy, I'm going to make that bold prediction that it's going to be Hampson Nashville Dean. Um, I think Emmett Rice is going to have a lot to say about that. Um but I'm going with Nashville Dean. He was just having a phenomenal season until he got hurt in the uh, Florida game. Then he decided to stay for his senior year, which was a very smart decision. And kudos for him for doing that. Um, but if 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 Nashville Dean has a hundred tackles again, that means the defensive line. And the linebackers are not doing their job because the um, the offensive player is making it all the way to the third level of your defense. So you definitely don't want uh, your strong safety leading the team in tackles. You don't want that. But I'm making a prediction that he will lead the team in tackles because I, the offense is not going to be that good to start and the defense is going to be on the field a lot, just like they were last year. So, we'll see what happens. Um, that's going to conclude this episode. I hope you enjoyed it. It's available on YouTube. It's available on all podcast platforms. Please wear a mask. Um, thank you for listening again. Um, be safe. Be kind. Be courteous. Do your research on flu and respiratory viruses. And as always, go nose.